try to visualize these measurements. Picture a kind of tube that is 120 inches in length, 120 inches tall or long, right? It's, it's, it's 120 inches in length and, and 28 inches in diameter, 28 inches around. That's like, what, 10 feet tall if it was standing on end by a little over 2 feet around? Good size, but not huge. It's like a, a kayak, right, that doesn't taper at the ends. <laughs> Picture that in your mind, something about that size. Okay, before I explain those measurements, keep them in your mind, but before I explain those, let's think about the battle that lies ahead of us this month. Think about the battle that lies ahead of the, uh, us this month. Um, it's actually a battle that every one of us will fight. And we will fight that battle every single day. And we actually will fight it every month of the year. It's not special to December. But let's couch the conversation for now, this morning, in a December context. Okay? The battle you will fight every day this month is an attack on the greatness of Jesus. The battle you will fight every day this month is an attack on the greatness of Jesus. Sure, Jesus will be in the mix someplace. It's Christmas time after all. He will be there. But here's what I mean. This month, one thing after another will attempt to loom large in your heart and mind. One thing after another will attempt to dominate your time and your attention, your mind and your affections. One thing after another. It could be any myriad of things. Things like family. Or maybe lack of family. Gifts you need to buy. Or gifts you can't afford. Or gifts you hope to get. Work parties, neighborhood parties, church parties, Christmas projects, cards, baking, crafts. Maybe it's Christmas travel. People who like the Christmas add-on. Santa, trees, lights, fruitcake. And people who are annoyed by the Christmas add-ons. Both can get overly distracted by them. Even the familiarity of that original Christmas story with that tiny baby in a manger can tempt us. The familiarity can tempt us to mental and spiritual disengagement. The, yeah, I already know that, subtle temptation within us, leading then to distraction from the greatness of Jesus. That's the battle that lay before you this month and in January and in February and all the way through changing some of the details maybe. But hold on to the image of that tiny baby as we go back to the measurements that I gave you before. You remember those? Those are the measurements of the atomic bomb that was dropped in 1945 on the Japanese city of Hiroshima. Ten feet in length, like a kayak, 28 inches around. 
from that cylinder came a 14,000 degree blast that rushed out one mile in every direction with a mushroom cloud reaching 30,000 feet in the air within 30 seconds and 60,000 feet within 10 minutes, the blast of that being equivalent to 15,000 tons, tons of TNT, that blast incinerated 70 to 80,000 people instantly. Such power in something that size. Such power. And of course, modern nuclear warheads are even smaller and can be up to 80 times more powerful than that. 80 times. Now, that illustration does not work on every level. It does not work all the way around, but that's not my point. What it does is remind us that looks can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. Whether we're thinking of that tiny Christmas baby crying and lying in that manger, or we are thinking of that Jewish man who walked and talked those dusty byways in Judea, who like the rest of us got tired, who had zits, who had to use the bathroom, the Jewish teacher who was rejected and ridiculed, who was manhandled in the end and then murdered, who hung for hours in weakness and agony on a cross. Whichever snapshot of Jesus you have in your mind right now, it cannot convey the mind-blowing immensity and power, the staggering greatness, the incomprehensible glory that Scripture tells us genuinely belongs to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, friends, the goal of the battle that lies ahead of you this month is that Jesus would loom large in your heart and mind. That He would loom large in your heart and mind. That His greatness would dominate your time and your attention, your mind and your affections. That you, by grace through faith, would see and savor and celebrate and submit to our incredible Redeemer. That's the goal of the battle. So what resources, what weapons, what allies do we have in this battle? Wonderfully, through the once-for-all victory that Jesus already accomplished, praise God, we are well supplied for the daily fights. We are well equipped. We have resources from Him. In addition to the gifts of a new heart and a renewed mind, we are, we are in addition to the Holy Spirit who gives and empowers those gifts, that new heart and renewed mind, in addition to the prayers and encouragements of our brothers and sisters, in addition to solid teachers present and past, we have that foundational revelation that works powerfully through those other means. We have God's Word, don't we? And that Word, Scripture, 
is our divine guidebook to the greatness of Jesus Christ. As you hold it in your hands or it's laying on your lap, look at it again. It is your divine guidebook to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Let's use it as such this morning. One book that does this remarkably well, this idea of the divine greatness guiding us into this truth, is the book that we just started in our Bible reading plan, the book of Hebrews. This month we are going to look at four passages from Hebrews that reveal the mind-blowing greatness of the one who came at Christmas. So our first passage is just one verse. I think that's like, in terms of how much our mind can be blown and what we could actually take this morning without having to be rolled out of here or carried out of here, I think one verse is probably just enough. That's all we're going to try to bite off today. It's just one verse. But listen, as I read it, you're going to see... As we unpack it, you're going to see that it's enough. Look with me at verse 3 of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. The writer tells us that he, that's the Son, see in verse 2, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, that's just one verse. That is just one single verse. Did you hear what that verse reveals? It is clear the writer of Hebrews did not believe Jesus was merely a good teacher, a good rabbi from Nazareth, who simply because he was so loving, left his mark on the world, just like so many other exceptional people, both before and after him. No, that is not what this writer believes. The writer doesn't simply believe Jesus left his mark on the world. He believes Jesus upholds the world. The entire world. Better still, the entire universe by the word of His power. Can you process that right now? Just think about that for a second. And that's not figurative language for the extent of His influence. He literally upholds the universe. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Think with me about this. Think with me about four aspects of the mind-blowing greatness to which this verse, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, points us. Think about four aspects of the mind-blowing greatness to which this verse points us. So first of all, look at how this verse reveals an exalted person. An exalted person. Jesus the Son is described as the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Jesus Christ is the shining out of God's divine glory. This isn't like Moses. (laughs) This isn't like Moses in Exodus 34 where He came down from the mountain and His face was glowing like a little taste of divine glory on His face. Remember that? They had to put a veil over His face. This isn't that. Glory here reveals 
to the incomparable perfections of God's nature. When you think of God's glory, do not think of a super bright, like, uh, bazillion rated watt halogen light. God doesn't really shine. He's not like a, just like a big flashlight, you know, in heaven. That's not what glory is. Glory is the incomparable perfections of God's nature. And Jesus is the radiance. Not radiance. He is the radiance of the incomparable perfections of God's person. Shining those out. And the second statement about the Son being the exact imprint, the exact imprint, uses a word here that can refer to an engraver's tool or like a a stamp or a die cut. It can refer to that tool or it can refer to the mark being left by that tool. So if you think about these two statements made about this exalted person, you, you realize they're saying the same thing. They both actually point to the same idea. And this is what they're saying. The man Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son, the one who has powerfully and perfectly made visible to us the invisible God. Powerful. That can't be said of anyone else. Second, knowing who Jesus is, take a look, it makes sense that he also, that this verse also reveals an exalted power. An exalted power. It's very clear from the start of this book, the human author of Hebrews wants to quickly establish Jesus' relationship to all things. Does that make sense? That is, he wants us to understand Jesus in relation to everything else. How do we understand that? Jesus in relation to everything else. Well, stunningly, not only does verse 2 describe him as the heir of all things, H-E-I-R, that means all things are for him. And it also describes it as the one through whom also God created the world. That means all things came through him. But our main verse, verse 3, makes it clear that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. All things exist for him. All things exist through him. All things are upheld by the word of his power. As I said a moment ago, this is not figurative language. This is not hyperbole to say, look how great Jesus is. He's kind of like this. No, no, no. This is literal. He literally sustains the universe through his own power. The word translated here, uphold, usually has this sense in the New Testament of bringing something to someone, of carrying, carrying something, of bearing something, right? At the end of the book, it talks about let us bear our reproaches to outside of the camp along with Jesus. Do you remember that? Chapter 13, let us bear that. That is the idea here. 
So when you set that idea in the larger context of this book and in the larger context of the New Testament, and in fact the larger context of the whole Bible, we can see what this means. It doesn't mean that Jesus is like Atlas sitting there with the globe on his shoulders, right? Looking really sad and frustrated and tired, right? Like, oh, oh, like, like when is this going to end? He's just got that thing crushing down on him, carrying the world in that way. No, that is not it. Jesus, by the word of his power, is carrying the entire universe to its appointed end. He will bring it there and nothing will stop that. Nothing will deter him from bringing it to its appointed end, an end which will also mark a new beginning. Think about this. Every crumb and every continent, every quark and every quasar, every drop of sweat and every ocean depth, every beam of light in the universe and every human life is held up and carried forward by Jesus to the end for which God made it. Everything. And no, this is not rare language only found in Hebrews. Listen to how this passage echoes a passage from the Apostle Paul. Take a look on the screen. He, Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. Check one. Wow. He's the firstborn of all creation. Jesus' relationship to all things. For by Him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Remember, when we talk about creation and all things, we tend to think of the things that we can see. But in Scripture, all things is all things. Angels and demons. All things that we cannot see in an invisible spiritual realm. All of that plus everything you can see, which is very limited given the size of the universe that God made for His glory. And things microscopically that you cannot see. Things so far away you will never ever see. All of it, every single thing, were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. Wow. It's like Paul and the writer of Hebrews were inspired by the same Spirit like they had the same truth about Jesus that they knew and celebrated and savored and submitted to. And yet, in another letter from Paul, he speaks about God's appointed end. Take a look at this verse. God's appointed end to which Jesus is carrying things. It says, an end, it's an end that according to His purpose, God's purpose, He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. I think the NIV says to sum up all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. You see, the writer of Hebrews will go on starting in chapter 1 and all throughout this book. But in chapter 1, he begins to first apply all of this to angels. Angels. Demonstrating that Jesus is far bigger and far better than any angel for all things were created through Him and for Him, even angels. Even you and me created through Him and for Him. 
And that brings us to the final two ideas in verse 3. Third and fourth, take a look here. Look at how at the end of verse 3, it points us to an exalted purification and an exalted position. Imagine this. Imagine that you have a friend in jail because of outstanding debts that this friend has and then the fines that have accrued against him. Imagine that you go down then and you pay off those debts to secure his release. Now, imagine that the next day you have to do that again. Why? Because your friend got right back into trouble after being released from jail. And you have to go back down again and fill out the paperwork and pay the fine and get him released from jail, get her released from jail. Imagine doing that the next day again. And then the next day again. And the next week after that. Now imagine that you hear from another friend. And then you hear from another friend. And then you hear from yet another friend. And all of them are in the same predicament. All of them following the same pernicious pattern. Every day. Now, imagine carrying out that same costly ransom for every moment of recorded history for possibly billions of people. When we consider this divine guidebook to the greatness of Jesus, we see Jesus doing that very thing for us. And doing it perfectly once for all when He suffered and died on the cross. Done in a moment. If that first illustration made you feel tired, right? And just like, oh, I, I, I wouldn't even have the mental capacity, let alone the finances, let alone the wherewithal, let alone anything of all to do that, to pay that kind of ransom, to secure that kind of release. And Jesus did it all in a moment perfectly, once and all. He made purification for sins, not a purification but the final purification. And we know that because once for all, after His resurrection, He returned to the Father and He sat down. That's what it says here. He sat down in a place of unparalleled honor. The right hand of God. Again, remember, these are descriptions. Right hand of God, proximity, spatial things. These are for us to understand this. There's no thing like a big white throne made of celestial marble that God's sitting on and there's a right to it where somebody named Jesus is sitting. Although Jesus has a body, it is something beyond, I think, even we can fathom and understand. But it's meant to convey to us something that would have been familiar to those ancient audiences in terms of the right hand and the place of honor that was represented by that position. That's where Jesus sits. 
unparalleled honor. Why does he sit down? Because it was done. It was completed. It was finished. What have we seen? An exalted person with an exalted power coming for us to accomplish an exalted purification and then assume an exalted position. And He upholds and will carry everything to that mind-blowing end for which God created the universe His own glory. And where do we see that glory perfectly? Jesus is the radiance of the Father's glory. The exact imprint of His nature. And Jesus continues, has revealed and continues to reveal to us powerfully and perfectly that glory even now. But please, please, please do not miss the balance of these two sets of exalted descriptors here that we've been given. The first two descriptors, you see them one through four there? Oh, go back. There they are. You see those? The first two there are about who He is in glory. The second two there are about what He did in love. What does that mean? It means our Jesus may be mind-blowing, but He is also heart-healing. He is mind-blowing and He is heart-healing. Don't separate the two. He is mind-blowing and He is heart-healing. He is so far above us, but at the same time, He is always at your side. Try to wrap your mind around that. Mind-blowing, Jesus. Whether it is a good thing and there are many to come, or it is a hard thing and that road is set, that road is there, I know, for so many of us, and it will be there. Something is attempting even now or will attempt to dominate your attention and your affections this month. That's the battle. Pastor Bryce, you're ruining kind of the nice Advent Christmas vibe. <laughs> it's the most wonderful time of the year. And, and, and what's Pastor Bryce doing? Like, like, he is like, yeah, like blood and battle, man. It's coming. There's a fight coming. I love you and I'm being honest with you. And I want you to experience the joy of Christmas, the joy, the special joy that comes this time of year. I really want you to experience it in truth because real Christmas joy comes from beholding the greatness of Jesus Christ. Seeing Him in all of His greatness. Yes, looking at that baby, but knowing looks can be deceiving and saying, that baby represents something so profoundly powerful and special for me because my Jesus is mind-blowing and heart-healing. And He took that form, He took upon Himself flesh for me to bring healing to my life. But I know that that baby does not contain or encapsulate or sum up all that Jesus is. I know that. It's bigger than that. These, this thing or these things this month that we talked about will attempt to eclipse Jesus. Or again, the familiarity of that Christmas baby, like we talked about, will lull us into a kind of spiritual stupor. All things in their place for Christmas, even Jesus in His place. 
right there in that manger, right? And he sits there and lays there, maybe like in your nativity set at home, he sits there and lays there as we run around like chickens with our heads cut off, doing all sorts of things or lamenting that we don't have this or that. And he's still laying there. He's stuck there. Little Jesus. But we know, we know, brothers and sisters, we know Jesus is bigger and better than all of it. Jesus is bigger and better. Say that with me. Jesus is bigger and better. Right? Than anything you're going to experience this month. I don't care how much you love your decorations at home. Jesus is bigger and better. I don't care how much you love the office work party every time it rolls around this this season. Jesus is bigger and better. Right? I don't care how much you love singing Christmas carols. Jesus is bigger and better. You see, all these things are wonderful. But if they're not pointing us to Jesus, they can distract us. If they're not put in their proper place. If they're not understood in light of His divine greatness. Don't settle for smaller. Don't settle for smaller worldly things. Whatever you're facing even now, know this, based on what God has revealed to us from this divine guidebook to the the greatness of Jesus Christ, know this, that Jesus Christ, whatever you're experiencing now, can and will sustain you. If If He can... And He is upholding the entire universe right now at this very second. Bringing it to God's good and God's glorious end. Then He most certainly can reassure you and help you experience His sustaining, upholding grace in a very real way. But you have to believe that. You have to believe that. He's calling you to believe that. And Jesus could do, could do no miracles there because of their lack of faith. Let that rattle around in you. I think Mark 6. He is calling you to faith. In addition to this, our divine guidebook to the greatness of Jesus in addition to that, remember the resources, brothers and sisters. Remember the weapons. Remember the allies that you have in this battle. Therefore, ask yourself even now in sincerity, introspectively, bore down within your heart, how will the greatness of Jesus affect my prayers this month? How will the greatness of Jesus affect my priorities this month? What might I have to rethink or redo or reject out of my life? Because it's too much of a stumbling block. Because it always serves to pull me away. And I think I have to get it done. I have to get it done. (laughs) Everybody's counting on me, right? It's my tradition. I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And yet you're filled with anxiety instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're focused on some other end than the glory of God through Jesus Christ. You see, they're good things. But I don't think we understand how, how many snares and pitfalls there can be at Christmas time. I know I sound like the Grinch, but I'm not. If we're going to celebrate Christmas, 
Let's not celebrate something that really could be called Winterfest by the rest of the world. Let's celebrate Jesus. Amen? Let's celebrate Jesus in all of His greatness. Let's celebrate Him. So please ask yourself this as well. How can I encourage others with His greatness? Which brother or sister can I build up in with these mind-blowing truths? Who can I share this with outside the church? Because a lot of us are hurting right now. Right? A lot of us are hurting and a lot of us are distracted. And the same antidote applies to both. You show them the greatness of Jesus. You point them to the greatness of Jesus. You love them with the greatness of Jesus. And you pray that God will work in His grace through His Spirit to bring their focus back to where it needs to be, where mine needs to be, where yours needs to be. Who can I share this with outside the church? Our world is hungry and longing for something bigger and better. It really is. In some mysterious way, the infant son of Mary while laying in a manger, was still the Son of God upholding even the molecules of the wood that shaped His crib and the straw that served as His bedding. He was both. I don't understand it. I can't explain it to you. But behold the wondrous mystery, brothers and sisters. Behold it. Looks can be deceiving. And that means however things seem right now in your life. However things seem right now, remember this. Jesus is bigger and better than all of it. All of it. And because He is, let us then in love and humility celebrate and submit ourselves to the divine son amen let's pray we need to ask god to do this work and just taking the blinders off of our eyes refreshing our hearts one of the things that i forgot to to, to say earlier is this because Jesus is bigger and better than all of it, then let your mind be blown and your heart healed daily, brother, sister. Let your mind be blown and your heart healed daily by Jesus Christ.